Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, as a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday, or most Mondays, at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast, but if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't please forget to follow us on social media. Also, please don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots in Hockey History on Facebook and at Snapshots in on Twitter. Well, I'm a little late. I was hoping to be back next week, but I've been a little busy. So happy new year to everybody. This is our first new episode of the new year. And I got to tell everyone, I really enjoyed the holidays, had a great time and actually got to watch some hockey for once, which was really nice. And as I said a few minutes ago, I was actually kind of hoping to come back last week, but I've been so damn busy with my personal life and my social life and all that good jazz that I, I really haven't been able to pay much attention to the podcast or as much as I used to. And it's, it's been really hard. It's been, it's been hard for me and it's something that I enjoy doing, but I'm starting to run short on time and it's a lot of work. You know, the research typically takes two to three hours per episode, getting in touch with guys. And of course, nobody wants to talk over the holidays. So it was a busy few weeks, but unfortunately nothing for the podcast. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this as long as I can, but it, it is definitely a lot of work. But I'm excited because this week I get to share an interview with you from a f- close friend of mine, really, Scott Gruel. Scott is a guy that had a cup of coffee, as he calls it, in the NHL with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Los Angeles Kings. But he was also the all-time leading scorer in the IHL. Uh, so he t- talks tons of minor league stories, tells a story about a guy putting his his dog in the freezer. It's a, it's a crazy story. Um, so some good gems in here. And, you know, I call this one the confessions of a hockey lifer, just like Jeff Tui, a guy that maybe when you think of hockey, you don't think of Scott Gruel, but really had an amazing career and a guy that really has been a hockey lifer. As we get into it, we talk about his son a little bit, who's now pursuing the referee ranks and things like that. So uh, definitely a good interview. I think everyone will enjoy this. So we'll go ahead and cut to that, and I'll catch you on the flip side in a minute. Talk to you soon. You are a hockey lifer, and it seems like it came in like from the day you were born. Did I do some research that your goal, your dad was a goalie, and he had a tryout in a pro league or something like that? He did. Where do you find that? Holy smokes! That's a that no one knows about that. It was um, obviously back in the day. He was a teenager, and um, he was uh, uh, got a call, or he he didn't get the call, but there was a call from Philadelphia. They wanted him to come to training camp to try out, and my dad was working or something like that, and one of his buddies or whatever, took the call and said, yeah, I'll get back to him. And it was like three or four days later. And um, his uh, friend says to him, he goes, yeah, um, well, yeah, by the way, there was a call uh, from uh, Philadelphia. And I go, and his, and my dad goes, what do you mean a call from Philadelphia? He goes, yeah, General Landry's something above trial or something like that. And my dad, <laughs> just, he just lost it, of course. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, oh, yeah, it was three or four days ago. And that's how he missed his tryout, you know, because someone, one of his buddies or whatever, took the call and didn't tell him about it. Oh, oh my that, yeah, God. Yeah, that was back, oh, my God. That had to have been 50, 60 years ago. I mean, that's crazy. So that's you crazy. came from a hockey family then. I think there was like five of you, right? Uh, I have five brothers. Yeah, there was six of us. Six boys. Six boys. And, and all of them played hockey, I'm assuming, or did everyone kind of do their own thing? No, we all played hockey. Um, I'm third out of six, and um, in some some way, shape, or form, we all we all played. Um, you know, my oldest was a defenseman, and my second oldest brother was a goaltender. He was the the nuts. He was he was the nuttiest. Well, he was a goalie. The family. Oh yeah, the goaltender. <laughs> he would he would lead the league in um, save percentage wins and all that sort of thing and telling it so that'll that'll tell you about daryl but um and then uh there was myself and my you know my my three younger brothers all played and um 
I had uh, or have uh, Bobby, who's a little bit younger than I am, that uh, you know was a four-year Lebanon at Ohio State, a great defenseman there. Um, so yeah, oh yeah, we all we all played, and um, not not many of us play that much anymore. I'm still involved in the game, but not not to the extent when we were younger. You know, when you get to be my age, you know, you try to slow down a little bit. So you, you, you go up through the years, and, and it, you played growing up, you talked about, and you wind up at Northeastern. And this was interesting to me that you kind of went the NCAA route because in the late 70s, early 80s, I think it was more the major junior route for players that wanted to go play pro, especially from Canada. So how did you wind up in the NCAA at that time? Well, my cousin, Jim Martell, um, set numerous records at Northeastern. And um, he had graduated uh, a few years before I decided I wanted to go. And uh, there were no, I wasn't drafted out of uh, midget or anything by any junior teams. So, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, a five foot six defenseman that, that, you know, no, nobody in junior is looking for a five foot six defenseman. So I decided to, you know, follow Jim's steps and go to Northeastern and uh, something happened uh, the freshman year was there, and um, I wasn't playing, so I was down on the JV team. And, you know, two things really happened. One, I started to grow. And two, Fernie Flamin, who was the uh, legendary Boston defenseman, Boston Bruin defenseman, was the head coach of Northeastern after he retired, he decided that I was too small to play defense, so he moved me up to forward, brought me up to the varsity team after Christmas, after the break, and then things just started to happen from there. The second year I was there, I was um, ECAC um, Comeback Player of the Year, scored, I think I had 38 or 39 assists, which actually broke my cousin's uh, uh, school record. And, you know, things just started to happen from there. For some reason, after I got off the defense and uh, started playing forward, um, things just seemed to come easier for me for some reason. Plus, I grew a little bit, so... Um, so I left college after my sophomore year, and we were living in Elliott Lake, Ontario, which is two hours from Sudbury, and my dad put a call into uh, the Sudbury Wolves organization and, um, you know, went to have a tryout with them. It was in the summertime, so the only three players there were Donnie Beaupre, Mike Foligno, and um, Dale Hunter, so I thought that was, you know, that was my tryout, the four of us. We needed a goaltender, and we needed a couple of skaters and that sort of thing. And, and those two kids were, you know, I say kids, but uh, those two guys were uh, local, so they lived there. So um, it was a natural. I, I guess I showed them something. I played one year in junior in, in Sudbury, and then was um, that was when, the, if you remember, Brett, the WHA yep. folded, yep. folded that year. And all those players were, uh, you know, came to the NHL, and they only had seven rounds of uh, the, of the uh, junior draft. So I was actually drafted in the number one number one pick in the eighth round of the supplemental draft. So I was an eighth-round pick, if you will, uh, by the L.A. Kings and went to their camp, and that's, that's how all that transpired. So. so I guess let's back up a little bit, though, because – Oh my God, you played for Fern Flamin, who is a legendary Boston Bruins defenseman. What kind of coach yes, was he? What do you remember about Fern and, and, and you know, at your time at Northeastern? Well, Fern, you know, he was, he was great to me. I mean, I, you know, when I came in, um, I really don't think he knew how small I was. I mean, I never met him. I never toured the campus or anything like that. I mean, not like, athletes do nowadays oh there's no internet either um, so it's not like you could oh, yeah. you could go on youtube and watch you play it, basically i went on my cousin say so and you know my father Jeez. was you know guiding me for the most part i know it was crazy and so uh but fernie was tough i mean old school for sure i mean very disciplined um especially as a defenseman you know i was an offensive-minded defenseman so i'm taking chances and you know that's probably part of the the reason I never played, you know, the you know the first part of the first of my freshman season because you know I was up the ice all the time. So, and you know he played me with his uh, captain who was a senior. His name was Mike Holmes. I mean he was six four. So we were an odd looking pair for sure. 
But, um, you know, after Christmas, uh, when I came back, it, it, things just got a little bit easier. I think I was a little bit more settled into the college life and that type of thing. And, you know, but I knew what, I knew what to expect from Bernie Flannan. I mean, and, um, you know, Don McKenney was his, uh, assistant. He played with the Bruins as well. And, you know, they were, you know, he was more of the, okay, let me, let me handle this after you get chewed out by Fernie, you know, I'll go back, he goes back and picks up the pieces and, you know, that kind of thing. So they had a pretty good relationship that way. But, um, I enjoyed my time in Boston. It was, um, certainly an eye opening experience as a 17 year old going from a, you know, small town in Ontario to, to Boston was a certainly culture shock. So, Oh, for sure. Um, for but sure. And, but, and, it was it was a great experience. It sure was. Well, you t- you mentioned one teammate, but I want to talk about another one. What do you remember about Chris Nyland playing with him in, in the NCAA? A guy that would go on to rule the league with an iron fist. Yeah, no doubt. Chris Chris was a great teammate. I mean, you know, he was very loyal. Obviously, he's from he's a Bostonian, you know, Southie and that whole thing. And um, you know, back in the day, everybody loved him, and he was certainly, you know, the hometown favorite and all that sort of thing. And it was physical back then, and, the, you know, the, the rules have changed, obviously, but, you know, you know, some 40 years ago. So, you know, fighting was, you know, it had frowned on it, but he was very physical and, um, you know, has better hands than most people gave him credit for. I'll give you that. And, um I'll tell you what, he had, he had a big heart and, you know, not only on the ice and for his teammates and, and things like that, but just, you know, for, you know, I don't know, grandmothers and helping people cross the street. I mean, that's just, that's just the way Chris was. So you decide so, to leave school. You, you end up leaving school. Yeah. And as you said, your, your, your dad had a connection with the Sudbury Wolves and you end up going to the OHA, which is now the Ontario Hockey League. And I love that there's only four guys there. You, Dale Hunter, Mike Foligno, and Don Beaupre, all four of you go on to play in the NHL. But what was the difference like between the hockey and the OHA and the NCAA back then? Well, we were playing some, uh, you know, back then the, the, the rinks were about the same size. They didn't, they didn't open them up, you know, to the Olympic size like, you know, the, the kids are playing now. I would say that there was not much difference in the hockey. It was still physical. I mean, I can remember – the games against BC and BU being, you know, hometown type, you know, everybody clamoring for the number one seed in Boston, you know, Harvard, you know, throw Harvard in there as well. I mean, they, they were, I mean, the, the biggest rivalries, I mean, they were, they were difficult, you know, going on the road and, you know, the, you know, the, obviously the student body and the places were always packed and, um, you know, it, it, it was, it was physical. I mean, it was physical being, being five foot six, five foot seven, you know, in there and trying to duck all these, you know, bigger, stronger, tougher players. I mean, it was it was a survival test. When I went back and played junior the year, I played there. I mean, you know, there were um, there were times when you know you you had to fight. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't as much fighting, if any, in in college as there was in junior. But when you went back to junior, you had to you had to defend yourself. I mean, your teammates would defend you, but only for, like, I mean, they're not going to keep fighting for stock rule. Eventually, he's got to fight for himself. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of penalty minutes. I think I was under 100 that year. But the couple times that I did fight, I got my ass kicked. There was there was no doubt about it. I was, I was not good at that part of the game. Um, and, you know, a lot of the guys that, you know, guys that um, – went on to have unbelievable careers that I played against in junior. I mean, you know, Dino Cicerelli and, you know, guys like that, that he, you know, was, un, was unbelievable uh, in junior. And, you know, the guys from Ottawa, you know, um, who, uh, you know, I didn't play against Gretzky, but, um, you know, Paul Coffey was in uh, Sault Ste. Marie the year I was there. And he, he was, I don't know, he, he had on way over 100 points, I think, the year I played. You know, guys like that that were just so talented and watching them, and I didn't know anything about them because I was I played two years of college hockey. And once again, so there's father, no internet; like you can't just no. look these people up. Exactly. I mean, my father basically thought that, you know, that it would be best for me to go back and play a year junior because that's where most of the guys were getting drafted. From. Right. 
Right, and and that makes complete sense. And you had a great year in junior. You scored 84 points in only like 68 games. So you've definitely put yourself on the map, and, and you mentioned it. You get drafted by the Kings, and I guess let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you get done playing junior. What's kind of the thought process, you know, like going into the summer? What are you kind of thinking? Well, I really didn't, you know, the you know the, the draft was in June, so once I got, you know, home, because uh, we, you know, we, you know, we weren't that far from there. You know, I just started my summer job and that type of thing, and then I got a call from an agent, ironically, which, oh, my God, I mean, are you kidding me? An agent, yeah. Calling me, you know, and, um, you know, saying, hey, look, we want to represent you, you know, got your name and phone number from, you know, the Sudbury uh, franchise, and, you know, we think we want to represent you. And they came in and sat down, talked to my parents and I and that type of thing. And they were really only my agent for two years. I mean, they, you know, we they represented me when I was drafted by L.A., and, um, but there was really not a, to be, there was no benefit. I mean, once, once I got my contract, which they, he took care of all that sort of thing, you know, they never tried to renegotiate after the second year and all that sort of thing. And I just sort of, you know, became like a free agent on my own and worked my own deals, which that, that didn't turn out that well either. But <laughs> So know. that was the only agent you had in hockey was those first couple of years. Yeah. Oh, wow. It. And I know, and that's, you know, I mean, I had, I had um, you know, I, you know, I went to training camp uh, that first year and was, uh, I thought I had a pretty good champ, uh, camp. I went to, you know, we were, at that time we were in uh, training in Vancouver, um, right? Up north? Yeah. Yep. Nanaimo, actually, on Vancouver Island. And um, we played a game. I, I'm not even sure who we played against. And, I uh, scored four goals that game and was punked after the game by uh, Steve Carlson, of all people, and um, called me on the phone. from. And I was at the hotel. Told me he was uh, Stan Fischler from uh, the sporting news, or the hockey news, rather. Oh, great writer, well, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Well, he, you know, it wasn't him. It was no, Steve Carlson <laughs> punking me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a stock. Welcome I, to and the I league, rookie. Yeah, here you go, Rook. And um, I was like, oh, my God. it's You know, and I didn't know who it was at the time because, like, towards, you know, he's asking me all kinds of questions and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, who's the biggest influence? Oh, obviously my father and stuff like that. And I hear giggling in the background. I'm like, oh, shit. I just got punked, you know what I mean? Well, what you don't so know next- is this is actually Carlson here right now, and I'm actually punking you again 40 years later. You don't realize again? that. Again? 45 years later? Thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I hated the movie. I, don't, I can't remember what the title was, but I hated it. All movie was good, but everybody else sucked. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so the next day in practice, um, one of my buddies came up to me and goes, yeah, you know, that was, you know, Carly, you know, trying to. So you get out there, and it's, you know, because inevitably there's going to be like a scrimmage or something like that after the multitude of uh, boring you know, bag skating drills that you're doing. And I got a chance to run them, so I just I just ran them, you know, cross-checked them. And then I wanted to fight him right then and there, and he skated away. So, and it was all because of that. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, that was the first time in my life that I actually wanted to fight. Really? It was that and bad and that, it was like was that, that. that? That's how, yep, that's how mad I was. That's how motivated I was. And I didn't care whether I got my ass kicked or not. But I was I was game. That was basically basically the first time. So that's that's all that's how all that started. And and guys, so as a rookie coming into camp, you're a goal scorer and you're an offensive threat. Are guys challenging you physically regularly? I know there was something with Randy Holt in that camp as well. Are guys coming yeah, after how you? How did you find out? Oh I did. I did my research. Jeez, oh Pete! I didn't know many people knew about that. I that was. Uh, Yep, it was an inner squad scrimmage, and um, he was carrying a puck behind the net. And again, I wasn't—he didn't—I don't—I know he never saw me because as soon as he got to the other side of the net, and I was playing left wing, I just came in and train tracked him. I mean, it was—it was—it was a great hit. I actually heard heard the other players, and there's nobody, you know, there in LA on, you know, just—I uh, think we were in uh, Culver City at the time in the practice facility, no one's there. And I just hear, Ooh, like that. 
before I got to the blue line on the back check, I was cross checked from behind by him. That's how that's how fast he got up and chased me down. And had your number. So I know, I know. And so now we're at center ice, and I didn't, you know, I knew it was Randy Holt, you know, but I didn't think, okay, I didn't think he's gonna cross check me, you know, sixty feet later and challenge me to a fight. I mean, that's Randy Holt. I mean, I would still be in the hospital if I would have fought him at that time. So <laughs> I didn't fought him. I just turned and, you know, we exchanged pleasantries and then I just skated away. And then I think one or two days later I was cut and and um uh Bob uh, was it Bob Pulford? Who was the coach back at the time? So Pulley was in he, Chicago, I think. It was uh no, it wasn't him. Um, I think it wasn't Don Perry because he was in the minors. No. Don, well, I, I played for Don, so that, that's, a, that's a whole other chat. And I was going to say, we need to talk about Dom in a minute. We had um... – Oh, God, we <laughs> will. The coach at, at the time, you know, I was standing there, and I and, – and I, Was it Bob Barry? Normally, it's like – it was Bob Barry. That's what it was. And he said he, – he, I come up outside the facility, and I'm grabbing my, my stuff, and I'm waiting for uh, somebody to pick me up, take me back to the hotel, get my shit so I can get on the plane. And he steps off the bus because the team was going somewhere else to play an exhibition game. He goes, hey, you had a great game and all that sort of thing. Or a great camp. We want to keep an eye on you and all that. We're certainly going to – we want to be able to bring you up and stuff like that. And it was it was all pomp and circumstance to me because I know why I was cut. Because I didn't fight Randy Hall at center ice in that exhibition game. And I'm not sure what that would have proved. I wish I would have. But when you're there and you know and fear – grabs a hold of you and it's like he's gonna literally open me up right here and how's that gonna look you know and and i was a goal scorer i, I was not a fighter not at all so hindsight being 2020 yeah i probably should have and hung on for dear life or maybe hit him first or something i don't know yeah but what would it have proved it would have proved you could have taken a beating I guess. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. But either way, you, you go ahead and you head down to the American Hockey League for just a little while, and then you go to the IHL. I, I guess what was the difference between the two leagues? Was it kind of like, you know, now we have the NHL, AHL, ECHL, SPHL. What was kind of the, I mean, the AHL and IHL, I always thought they were the same. So why shuffle one guy yeah. to another? They were. I thought the AHL and the IHL were on a par, you know, when I broke in. Um, until the IHL folded, I believe. Um, and, you know, going to the American Hockey League, and to the IHL, I shouldn't say that. The IHL was probably is the ECHL today. Okay. So at the time. As, you know, throughout, as, as I guess my career started and continued on, then the IHL got, you know, you know teams were sending players there right out of camp because they were closer. You know, like Chicago was sending players to Indianapolis and that type of thing. So, you know, so rather than send it to the East Coast or whatever, they would, you know, and certainly L.A. was sending their players to Saginaw and, you know, instead of, you know, New Haven when I first broke in. So they were much like how they've organized uh, the minor leagues and gotten them closer to the major league clubs in both baseball and hockey it, it wasn't like that when I first broke in, but it just kind of evolved and, you know, organically to, and, and so when the IHL was on a par with the AHL, probably 10 or 12 years into my career, you know, I went from like in the second, my second foray, if you will, I, I did play some games, you know, for LA over those two years. And I played a bunch of games in Pittsburgh as well. And their uh, minor league you know, farm team was Saginaw, or I'm sorry, was Muskegon, uh, right? When I spent, yep. Yeah, when I spent those seven years there. So I got a chance to play, I mean, how many errors did I, I, I crossed at least two errors, because <laughs> I played with Marcel Dion and Mario Lemieux. Unbelievable. And, and a grand, against, against Gretzky, you know, in both both of those errors. So it was, it was awesome. You know, it was awesome, you know, you know, being up in, in the National Hockey League. Nothing, there's nothing like it. I remember my first my, my first game in L.A., um, the, the bus to the airport, we were going on the road, left at whatever, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was staying across the street from the forum at whatever hotel was there. So I just literally walked across the street, which was fine by me, 
And um, so I got there around 9.30 or so, and I, I walk into the locker room, and the trainer's there, and he's going, what are you doing here, rookie? And I said, well, I'm here to pack my stuff. And he's like, look around. There was not, there was nothing in that locker room, not a, not a stick, not a roll of tape, nothing. It was immaculate in there, and I'm going, I just sat there for half an hour until everybody showed up so that we could leave, you know, because what did I know? You know what I mean? Right. Every time I ever went on a road trip, you got to go there and pack your own shit and, you know, take your sticks and make sure you're, you know, you have your skates and all your stuff's there and all that sort of thing. They just, and I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is something. This is. Welcome to the big leagues. Big yeah. Welcome to the big time. So, yeah. And it was, um, it was fun being there. I'll give you that. So were you actually under contract with the Kings while you were in the IHL with SAG and all that for the first few years? I was. Okay. I signed a two-way contract. I'm sorry, yeah, a two-year contract, three ways. So I made X amount in the National League and then, you know, subsequently a lot less in uh, the American League and, and then the IHL. Yeah. We so touched on this guy. Okay, we t- we touched on this guy, and you know we had Paul Mulvey on the podcast and Jim Fox, and everybody talks about Don Perry and how different he was. What do you recall about, or what were your experiences with Don Perry? Well, uh, he coached. Let's see, he coached. I was in Saginaw for two years, so he was there, and then I was in New Haven for two years, and um, so he coached there one year so i played for him uh one year in new haven before la brought him up and he was the coach in la for the famous paul movian thing if you recall correct and that's what we had paul on the show about yeah he tapped him on the shoulder i was sitting i was sitting on the bench right next to him unbelievable or two guys down i know and he taps him and it was like a five on five or something on the ice he goes he taps him on the shoulder get out there he said i'm not going out there and I'm fucking telling you to get out there. Said, well, I'm not going. Just like that. I said, look, those guys can handle it themselves. They're doing just fine. And, oh, my God. When when Don is nipping his friend, when he got upset, man, the spit would fly and his face would get, like, totally beat red. I mean, he was the most intense person I've ever played for. And um, But I'll tell you what, when you're – there's nobody that you'd rather have in your corner if you needed somebody behind you. If you if you played hard for him and was uh, again I, like it was my first pro experience when I was when I first came in and I can remember a time uh, there was a time I you know I don't know I probably got flashed or cross checked or something like that because that was the old IHL. I mean that was slap shot. I I, I could have been a, I could have been an extra on that movie because I lived it. You lived it. Okay. Yeah. The first game I played was uh, there were 444 pounds there. We were, wow. we were playing Milwaukee in Saginaw, and there, and each and in each period we had uh, three, well, one each period, but three 30-minute bench-clearing brawls <laughs> in one in each period. And that was my first game, in the, you know, after leaving college and, you know, playing one year in junior and, and playing pro and that's what that I was – Tell you what, it was. It you're was playing with men now. Yeah, you're playing with yeah. men, and these guys are. I'm telling you, we were playing. You know, Dennis Roger, thank God, was on my team. You know, and you know Willie Trognitz and all these dinosaurs. You know, but it was it was just incredibly. It was it was coon hockey. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, I was not a fighter, and I was playing with guys. I played with Warren Holmes and Quad Shell and Dave Westner and. You know, Teddy Tucker, Bob Frozy was our goaltender. I mean, we had, we had some pretty good players. John Gibson was was a tough, big, tough defenseman. Jeff Branton, you know, who looked, you know, like he belonged in the movie. You know, he had big, he's six foot four with red hair, just like it's like the movie. And um, yeah, it was insane. It was insane back in the day. There's one guy you didn't mention, and when I was doing my research, I had to ask about this guy. Who is Mel Hewitt, and how did he rack up 504 penalty minutes in one season? Yeah, Mel, there you go. <laughs> we'll just leave okay. it at that. Yeah, we could. Uh, you know, he, he – okay, let me tell you one story about Mel. And 
he he and his girlfriend at the time, nobody was really married. We were just all just hanging out together. Uh, but, you know, they lived together and that sort of thing. And um, she was working, and he was he was at home, and his dog, their dog, died. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So Mel put the dog in the stand-up freezer until she got home because he didn't know what to do. What? With the dog. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So little little I, bit of a different I guy. I don't know what happened when I don't know what happened when she got home, but that that's that he did that, you know. So I mean, okay. All right. What you want to do? I mean, I guess I. Hey. I don't know. To each his own. But you managed to go through the eighty one eighty two season. You make it to the NHL. You play a handful of games and. And then you get sent back. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, though, what was the feedback from the Kings during this period? Where did they kind of see you in the picture? Well, I never really, you know, short of talking to Bob Barry that one, that one day, I never really. George McGuire was the general manager. And um, God rest his soul, but I'm, I'm assuming he's passed. I mean, he was probably in his 60s at that time. So um, never really spoke to him all that much, uh, the general manager, and really never got hardly any feedback in, uh, you know, with that organization. So, so there wasn't like a plan, like, Hey, we see you doing this for another two years. It was kind of uh, not necessarily unorganized, but it was, it wasn't communicated very well. It sounds like, no, it was unorganized. I mean, you just, you know, you got your letters to come to camp and you know, that type of thing. This is when you need to report. Um, and then for the, your, all your flights and stuff like that. That's that they were, you know, that that was all taken care of. You didn't have to pay for anything to fly out to training camp and all that sort of thing. But back then, I mean, they would have like, you know, eighty guys in camp. I don't know if they do that nowadays. I haven't been to a training camp in a long time. But and you know, they had to fill three teams. So you're talking, you know, twenty five guys a squad, that type of thing. So you know. And they would invite free agents without contracts and things like that. So, but they, there was not a lot of communication. I mean, if you were at a camp, you know, they would, you know, there'd be, you know, somebody come to your locker and hand you a piece of paper. You'd open it up and say, you got to be at the so and so in the general manager's office or wherever. You know, if we were on the road or whatever it is at two o'clock, that type of thing. Bring your skates. And you knew what it was you about. Know? You knew what that was about. Oh, you knew. You knew right away. Yeah. It's like. It's like the it's like the red tag and you know in uh, a baseball movie I can't remember major the baseball league. movie right now yeah, major league yeah you know and that's in your locker and that type of thing you know they, you know so and um, and that was it you know you knew you were gone and that type of thing you pretty much know going in anyway you got an outside 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 chance you know what I mean you're first coming in as a rookie and that type of thing you got to make a splash you know fighting Randy Hole probably would have made a splash it would have been a a bloody splash, but I mean, oh, there would have been a splash already. It just would have been your blood. I mean, that's yeah, all. that would have been, yeah, I would have, I would have been on the ice the next day, but whatever. But um, I don't know. I can't, I can't look back. There's certainly memories that you know were great memories, and you know, I loved every minute of it. Oh, it's all experiences. You know? That's who makes you who you are today. And and speaking of, I guess making you, were there any veterans though that kind of took you under their wing and kind of helped you out? I'm not till I got to like. New Haven um, and L.A., or I'm sorry, uh, Saginaw, first year. Warren Holmes, who he's a few years old, and he's from Beaton, Ontario. He lives down in Texas right now, and then we're buddies on Facebook and stuff. So, um, And, you know, we try to get together. It's difficult and that sort of thing. I mean, same thing with Teddy Tucker. He was, uh, he was our goaltender of the year. We won there, and one of them. And, um, you know, again, just... You know, we catch up when I get back to Saginaw, because that's Barbie's hometown. You know, I go back and they play a, you know, like a Can-Am golf tournament every year. And so I went back a couple of years ago and caught up with all those guys. And um, it's, you know, you, they're lifelong friends. And, you know, he was my centerman. Warren was my centerman. And um, I'll tell you what, six foot four, bad back and all, best set of hands I ever played with. Really? I mean, backhand sauce, like nobody's business. Tape to I, tape? I, yeah, I'm telling you. And as a left winger and your left-handed centerman can backhand sauce to you, it was – you wonder why I, I scored all those points in Saginaw. It was, it was fun playing 
playing there. I really enjoyed it. And um, so I, I would say he was one of the guys that, you know, would kind of close it up to me and say, hey, look, you might want to not piss this guy off or, you know, you might want to, you know, stay away from Don right now. You know, he had a couple too many martinis last night or whatever. You know what I mean? Just, you just, uh, I took my lead from him. Let's put it that way. So it was, uh, and like Dennis DeRoche, like I said, he's an IHL icon. Um, you know, can 65 goals, 400 family minutes. I mean, how can you not love a guy like that back in back in the day, 40 years ago? So, you know, there's just there's uh, just a bunch of guys like that. Uh, you know, and you know now we're now we're losing them. So it's uh, it's, it's a bad. tough thing. Tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, and again, you know, concussions being what they are, that's a that's a real story. So, and you know, that's another. That's another podcast. I'll tell you that right now. But um, well, I'll tell you, you know, after not to cut you off, and I apologize, but you you finish out with L.A. and then you go on this run in Muskegon. And let's talk a little bit about your memories of playing in the IHL in Muskegon. You guys won championships. You led the league in scoring. This must have been one of the funnest times of your life. It was. I mean, you know, we really. I think I really settled in, you know, to the, you know, the fact that. Um, you know, if I was going to play in the minors, I wanted, and I firmly believe this for any, anybody, if you, if, if you don't like your job, then, then don't do it. Go somewhere else. I loved my job. And once I got to Muskegon, um, it just, the things just kind of fell in, into, into place. And when Pittsburgh finally, you know, started sending, uh, their players are obviously, you know, very talented players and, you know, guys like, Mark Recky and Kevin Stevens, you know, they cut their teeth in Muskegon. Um, and, you know, so we, we started winning championships. The players were better. That's when, you know, the AHL the, the and the IHL started to become on a par. So I was there for seven years, and, uh, you know, my wife and I got married at the time that we were there. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. I enjoyed it. Um, I had some great coaches. Rick Lee was there. Um, former Hartford Whaler, sure. Yep, that, yep. Hartford Toronto Maple Leafs. Rick Lee, he was one of my one of my faves growing up. You know, because I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan you know, as a kid in Ontario, and Rick Lee was playing there. And um, so when he when I got to play for him, it was it was a thrill. So um, and uh, still connect with him uh, on occasion. So. Um, yeah, things just started to happen there. I was minor league player of the year one year and uh, scored scored a few goals there. And um, Metro Castellet, uh, old old IHLer there, and um, actually broke his record uh, a little bit later in my career. So that was uh, that was fun to have him at that that particular night. So a lot of good things happened when I was there. Now, how did you get? First of all, it's unreal to me that you spent seven years with one minor league organization because today I feel like that would never happen. But how did it come about that you got called back up to Pittsburgh? I mean, you weren't even signed by them at the time, were you? I was not. They ran into, oh, my God, so many injuries. They had, like, at one point, like, 17, 15, 16 guys. You know, you're talking, that's a team. And, you know, they had had a, a bunch of injuries. So, um, and I was playing pretty good at that time. So, um our, uh, you know, our uh, management in Pittsburgh called and said, you know, who's, you know, I need, I need a body, and he's, you know, needs to be, you know, who's the best guy you got? And Rick told me, you know, said, hey, this, this is the best player that's playing right now. So I went up for, played I think six games over two years, whatever it was, and um, scored a, you know, goal, goal and assist I think when I was up there, and you know, so it was just one of those you could go up and help the club. And I didn't, I didn't have a problem doing that. So um, it worked out. I mean, I mean, there is a story that uh, Larry Gordon, our owner uh, in Muskegon at the time, got a call from Pittsburgh, and they said that. Uh, and I found this out probably 20 years after, after I, or maybe 10 or 10 or 15 years after I retired, that they wanted me to come up and he wanted to sign a contract. And Larry Gordon told them. No, no, no. He doesn't. He doesn't want to go up there. He he wants to. He wants to play in the minors. He doesn't want to go up. But and so I've never heard of anyone time. that would choose yeah. the minors over the National Hockey League. Right. Well, that that. Well, I didn't. But that's, <laughs> what the owner, that's what the owner told Pittsburgh. 
and at the time Scotty Bowman was coaching in Pittsburgh. So that year I uh, broke my wrist and was out for six weeks, and Bowman came down and um, walked into the office, and I was in there just helping with season tickets or whatever, because that's what you did in the minors. And Larry Gordon was there, and and he goes, uh, Scotty, this is uh, Scott Rule. Scott, this is Scotty Bowman. So I stood up and extended my hand, which was broken in a cast. And Scotty Bowman looked at me and he goes, oh, you're the one. Never never shook my hand or anything like that. Turned and walked away. What? And, that's, and I'm like, what is that all about? And then, like I said, I found out about 10 years later that, you know, Bowman asked me to come up and he, I was the one, you know, that they wanted me to sign and you know come up because I was you know, I was minor league player of the year he scored 60 goals the year before he doesn't want to come up and play for us yeah you know, where just, did that come from what is that that came from that came from the owner Larry Gordon and I never found out until after I left that after I left that town well you and Larry Gordon I guess would have a little bit of a falling out and you'd end up leaving Muskegon and heading to Fort Wayne and playing in Kalamazoo and you yep. you played with some good characters over there you had Bruce Boudreau on your team who of course went on to coach the oh, Capitals yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. Kevin Kaminsky, who who just had a rink named after him up in Canada. Um, yeah. What do you remember about kind of your final days in the IHL? Final well, days. It was I like knew, another eight years, but yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, the, you know, real quick story. When I was um, I was coming off that broken wrist, and Larry Gordon told me that you know Pittsburgh wants to part with you know, some of their dead weight and they want to just put all their own players in, in Muskegon. And I knew that was bullshit because, you know, I've, I've been there seven years and you're going to get rid of, you know, a hundred points. Okay. That's fine. I was, I was very bitter at that whole thing. With Understandable. So uh, Larry Gordon says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I'm not going to put you on the waiver wire. Um, I'll, uh, I'll give you till Friday. This is like a Wednesday or whatever it was. And I'll give you till Friday, and then I'll then I'll just release you. Then you can go wherever you want. And I'll give you time to call somebody. So I left his office, went home, told my wife, which she was not. She, she knew what was going on at the time as well, because I, I kept her abreast of everything. And I called Al Sims, who was, if you know Al, he was Bobby Orr's partner, uh, Al's rookie year in Boston, and he, he and I were teammates in New Haven. So I called and I said, hey. Uh, Larry Gordon's going to release me um, Friday, and he told me, I told him the whole story. I want to I want to play for you. You guys will have me. Um, he goes, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Sign me up, dude. I, I, you know, he goes, don't do a thing. Don't talk to anybody. I'll call you back in an hour. That's what he told me. I said, okay, Cindy. And he talked to his owners all that sort of thing, and, you know, they came up with a price and all that, so, and he called me back in an hour, and he said, okay, when, when, you hit the, when you hit the waivers or when you get cut, that type of thing, I can't, I'm not supposed to be talking. It would be called tampering and things like that, which I understand that, but he, my owner told me to call who I wanted to, you know, that type of thing, but I was already under contract with him, so technically there is a stipulation that, Fort Wayne could have gotten some big shit. So, and he was the only phone call I made, and and it took it took literally it took me five minutes to decide where I wanted to play. And um, so, I ended up in Fort Wayne. We won a championship there. Um, retired my jersey and broke Joe Castleup's record there. And then I was traded to um, Kalamazoo and then Milwaukee and and then I ended up uh, here with uh, Roy Sommer, but finished my playing career in the IHL. My last game I played was in the IHL, so I was at least, you know, it was a small thing, but at least I finished my actual playing career on IHL ice, so that was, uh, that's how it all ended up, and um, overall, five championships, thousands of friends, and, um, you know, what still a career. involved in the game today, yeah, still involved with the game today, so no, what a no career. complaint. Well, you ended up moving to Richmond, and you ended up kind of becoming an assistant coach there, and then eventually the head coach. How did you like coaching versus playing? Uh, well, my first game in the middle of the second period, I pissed off a referee and was kicked out, kicked out of the game. So I, 
I guess the same. It was. A, <laughs> and if people only knew what you did now for fun, uh, as a referee in USA Hockey, so clearly, you had a knack no for doubt. it. No doubt. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I knew that you know that you know. It's obviously short term. I I you know, came here, uh, wanted to retire here. You know that was kind of the deal my wife and I came up with. I was I was in 12 cities in 17 years. That's enough for me. I'm going to go there, get off, get off the ice, get into the. Uh, you know, the owner here told me that I, as long as I was in town, I would have a job with the organization, which was a lie. After you know two years on the ice, bringing this city a championship, you know, two years behind the bench, and you know got got my arse fired. So. Um, I took three months off and then just started just to be a civilian. I, I literally took two years away from the game um, before my kids got old enough to play and that type of thing and started coaching the youngins and then got into refereeing when I figured my 14-year-old, you know, needed a job. So then we started doing that and, um, you know, stayed in the game, you know, the whole, my whole life. I mean, I started skating when I was two and 60 right now, so... You know, it's a it's a long time to be involved in the game, but I wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Well, I guess as we kind of wrap things up, it's a good way to end it. One thing though that I wanted to ask about, and I've never talked to anybody about this, so I have to hear your experiences. What was the RHI all about and playing in that league? How did that come about? That opportunity for you, and you were very successful. You had like sixty one points in twenty two games. I know we didn't play a lot of games there, and when I was in Kalamazoo. Uh, there was a couple of guys on that team. Joel Savage uh, was one of them that said, "Hey, you got to come out to San Diego. We're, you know, we're we're going out to play uh, roller hockey for the Roller Hockey International." And I go, "I don't even know anything about roller hockey. Tell me, you know." So he was telling me about it as the season wound down and that sort of thing. And I said, "Okay, let me go out there." Robbie Nichols uh, ended up coaching that team, and um, you know, so came up with the deal. And they would, um, my wife and I and, and my oldest uh, drove out there. They would pay for, you know, your transportation out to San Diego from Michigan and back. And they gave you a place to stay and $250 a game. And you played, like I said, 22 games over a three-month span in the summertime. It was a paid vacation. It I was going to say, that sounds like a blast. It was tremendous smallsy i'm telling you it was the most fun we took our time getting out there we stopped in colorado saw a couple games we stopped in vegas you know we get there we were living in uh old town in san diego which is like the oldest part of town and it's overlooking the bay i mean right in the gas lamp district yeah i know exactly where it is and san diego is 76 degrees every day whether summer winter nothing it was it was the the best time we ever had and a great group of guys and you know you're traveling up to vancouver and all that sort of thing when we got there uh in the nhl now that now that you mention it um they were going to their playoffs and we were there uh, in that spring and um vancouver was playing the rangers when it was in 84 or 94 and game six was in vancouver and we were up there with San Diego playing Vancouver's RHI team, and we had the night off before we played them. And, and so I called Rick Lee, who was the assistant coach in Vancouver at the time, saying, hey, Rick, uh, got any tickets? I mean, you know, we're in town for this. Oh, yeah, you know, leave in your name in this game, and don't forget to, you know, see my wife when you announce know, so all that kind of thing. So we go there. And that's when Vancouver had Burray and all those guys. That, and Vancouver, and, I'm, and it's 3-2 for uh, the Rangers. And I, so it's, it's a win-win. I mean, I kind of want Vancouver to win because Rick got me the tickets, but Rangers haven't won in 40 years and all that stuff. And I'm really like a non-fan because I'm, you know, you know how it is when you're in the game. Brad, you're in the I business, mean, sure. You root for, yeah, you don't really root for somebody. You know, the Leafs, you know, they, were, they sucked in 67, so can't root for them. So, you know, they end up winning the game. Vancouver wins the game 3-1. And after the game, I'm down in the wives' lounge, and all the players are coming in, you know, picking up their wives and the coaches and everything, and all these 
and it's like there's like buffets and you know beers for everybody and all that sort of thing. I mean, it was awesome. It's the red carpet treatment, you know, and and that was all because of your IHI. You know, I, mean, I wouldn't have been up in Vancouver if I wasn't out there, and so that was pretty cool. Two days later, the Rangers win the Stanley Cup, and they kind of kind of put a damper on things. But that's but it was fun. I mean, it might you know Barb and I had a great time out there, and um, you know Tyler was just four years old at the time, and um, you know a side note. I mean, we had tried to, you know, have two kids and, you know, try to get pregnant and all that sort of thing. Couldn't. And we said, okay, the hell with it. We're not going to try anymore. And, you know, Tyler and Logan are five years apart. And now Pops Logan. And, yep. And we went out, we've been out to Van, we've been out to San Diego, had a great time while we were out there and came back with Logan. So, <laughs> and, you know. And I guess, I guess because we're wrapping this up, talk a little bit about what your son is up to now. This is so cool. I love this. And I know you're so proud of him. What is your son Logan up to now? We are, my wife and I, and, my, and his brother too. We're very proud of him. Um, again, both boys uh, started uh, refereeing kids when they were 14 years old, just a way to get a couple extra dollars and that sort of thing. And um, Logan's took it. Uh, you know, so he's been doing it. He's 24 years old. He's been doing it for 10 years. He's recently um, asked to join the. USA Hockey's officials development program, the ODP. He's been in that for three years. Um, he's traveling uh, quite a bit. Started in the North American Hockey League. Is now refereeing in the United uh, U.S. Hockey League, uh, top junior league in the in the nation. Um, recently got his first uh, professional game in the ECHL. He's been doing games in the SPHL, and um, he's on the radar. Um, and this was on the cover of USA Hockey magazine. Uh, this month, um, they did a, a nice article on him. So I'm, we're very proud of him. He's um, he's just an avid tennis player. Um, he's, he's like a 5.0 rating. If any of you those tennis people know what that means, uh, so he's pretty pretty good athlete. And um, so he's on somebody's radar, and you know we'll see what happens. So third generation year, hockey stud. Yep, third generation. Every year, it, the, the funny thing about that Brett is, you know, his brother's an official. I'm an official. His uncle's an official. His grandfather was an official. So, yeah, I, I guess it's just uh, it's in the blood, that type of thing. And as a parent, you know, you, you always want your kids to be successful and all that sort of thing, but we've never really pushed either boy into any direction that they didn't want to go. So um, he can pull the plug on this anytime he wants. Um, I, I just think he enjoys it. And um, he's getting better at it. He learns every day, and he's being uh, schooled by uh, some pretty good mentors. So it's um, we're just riding the wave, and we'll see what happens with it. Um, hopefully, he'll get some American Hockey League games maybe later this year or next year, and then um, you never know. Okay, I said at the end of the interview, I'd catch you in a minute. Or at the end of my intro, I guess it's been more than a minute. It's been about an hour. But either way, glad you tuned in. Hope everyone enjoyed talking to Scott. I love Scott. And while we didn't talk about his son, his son's name is Logan Gruel, And he is a referee in the USHL, the SPHL. He's working in the ECHL a little bit. Hopefully he's going to work in the American Hockey League soon. So if you're at a game, you see Logan Gruel. That's Scott's son. Great guy, young guy, and uh, working his way up, pursuing the professional ranks, following his father's footsteps. So uh, pretty cool. Anyways, that's all I've got. I'm running out the door to head to work. Really appreciate everyone tuning in. We'll be back next week with another episode. I think it's going to be a two-parter. I think next week's interview I'm going to post is uh, it's a pretty long one, a pretty good one with a, a pretty well-known NHLer. I think we'll post that over two weeks. So in the meantime, have a great week. Talk to you soon. Take care.